Once again, welcome everyone to our, our Monday evening gathering. And I'm sure most of you know that, that today is this day, <clears throat> at least in this place we currently call the United States, that we, that we have this day to honor Martin Luther King. And I'd like to come back to this honoring um, in kind of a, a, a roundabout way and, and begin in a place that's going to maybe sound quite different. Hopefully you can hear the connection eventually. At some point on this journey of mine on this path, I, I realized that I can practice meditation every morning, read the suttas, this Buddhist literature, follow the precepts, go on retreats, take courses to deepen this journey. Yet if I'm not being deeply emotionally moved by this practice and path, it's not going to blossom, it's not gonna grow. And in particular, I realized I needed to be emotionally moved by the beauty of this practice, by the beauty of this path. And, and maybe like me, you've been emotionally moved by beauty in all kinds of forms. Maybe by the beauty of a person or a poem or the beauty of a sunset or a song or a painting or maybe by heaps, heaps of snow that if you're here in Flagstaff now soften the landscape here. And what I've noticed is that in the experiences of beauty where I'm deeply emotionally moved, I'm also transformed in some way. Maybe you've noticed this as well. Uh, there's this poem by this Austrian poet, uh, Rilke, and, and in the poem, it's, it's a striking poem because the, the poem begins, here's Rilke, Rilke, he's beholding this statue from ancient Greece, and it's a statue of Apollo, and the, the statue, just the torso is remaining. And at the end of the poem, he's so deeply moved by the beauty of this work of art, by the sculpture, that it feels like the art piece is calling upon him to completely transform his life. Right? And maybe you can relate to this, just as I was saying, when, when I'm deeply emotionally moved by beauty, it's transformative. It's like it's calling me to transform my life. As I said, I, I realized I needed to be emotionally moved by the beauty of this practice. You could say by, by beautiful expressions arising out of a beautiful heart, such as expressions of compassion or kindness or wisdom or patience or equanimity. 
not just to practice that or, or to get a feeling sense of those beautiful qualities, but to be moved by them. And what I realized that this this act and this opening to be to being emotionally moved is part and parcel of this path that we find at least in the early literature and the early traditions of Buddhism. And there's one traditional way, there's many ways, but I wanna share with you about one traditional way that practitioners allowed themselves to be emotionally moved by this path and practice. And that was through this practice called uh, Buddha Nusati, which is this practice of recollection, recollecting the qualities of the Buddha. So it's, it's taking time, kind of in a reflective meditative way, um, so it's different than the kind of the meditation we did this evening where you're you're conjuring up these these qualities and in a way that that you feel inspired or emotionally moved by those qualities of the Buddha. And when the Buddha talks about this, he says, you know, the benefits of it is that the heart gets so uplifted, so inspired and moved that this aspiration gives momentum to the path to it uh, naturally unfolding. It's like it, it, it creates the conditions to have the heart in this place where the heart is just gonna naturally unfold. And there's a story of this uh, Brahmin scholar by the name of uh, Pingya. And, and it's, it's a interesting passage and in it Pingya is expressing how he is so deeply moved by and inspired by the qualities of the Buddha that it feels like, and he uses this imagery, this really, I find striking imagery, that it feels like being a bird that's, who's, who's confined to this small space in a group of trees. And it, then it flies into this whole vast forest filled with delicious fruit. Or the other image that Pingia gives of, of how his heart is so moved is, like it feels like a swan entering the spaciousness of a great flowing river. To me, it's these images, these metaphors that convey transformation. The Gia is transformed by this, just by reflecting on the qualities of the Buddha, being moved by them. I do want to acknowledge, though, at least this has been for me at times, you know, playing around with such a recollective practice is not for everyone, but I think for many, you could say modern people, it can be challenging because it can feel awkward to be moved in such ways, to be emotionally moved through a process of devotion. For many people, can feel it can feel uncomfortable antiquated in some manner, and, and maybe rightly so, that discomfort. I don't want to discount it. You know, something. there's something uncomfortable maybe about being emotionally moved by a human being in this way, because sometimes what can get hooked with it is, is to be emotionally moved by a human being in this way. There can be this assumption that that I must think that they are perfect or a saint or somehow more than human. 
But, but for me, what's important is not so much being moved by the Buddha as some kind of perfect person. This is important, I think, to understand this. But rather being moved by the beautiful qualities of his heart that move through his being. The wisdom, the equanimity, the, the patience, the persistence. The kindness and care he had for others. It's like he's the doorway through which such beauty flows to manifest in the world. And for me, Martin Luther King was another kind of doorway through which some, you could say, similar qualities of heart flowed into the world. For me, he touches me that way. Because I, I do have every year around this time, and of course other times, I I feel inspired and moved by what he said and did. I feel so grateful there's a day like today to get to slow down with that. Because I feel, I feel inspired and moved by his vision of a better world. He was a particular doorway through which beautiful qualities such as kindness, compassion, wisdom flowed through. And it's almost like if I take that, that practice of recollection that we find around the Buddha and place Martin Luther King in there, what starts to happen is, is I can feel like he's inspiring me to learn to be my own particular doorway, just as he was a doorway, can I be my own particular doorway through which similar, similar qualities flow out into the world and also get expressed in, in what I would call the unique way that comes out of this heart. And just to be clear, for, for me, it's not about trying to be like Martin Luther King, rather to, to be my own particular doorway for those simul similar qualities of beauty that flow through to him. And now can I allow them to flow through me and to express in whatever unique way. And again, as I mentioned before, I'm not holding him as some perfect person. For me, maybe this is blasphemous in a traditional way. I don't hold the Buddha as a perfect person. He was this amazing doorway for something to flow through him. So I'm moved because of the amazing qualities that Martin Luther King embodied at, at times during the civil rights era. Nusati, in terms of Buddha Nusati, which is this recollection of the Buddha's qualities, this word Nusati, this practice of recollection, can be seen as a practice of, I'm aligning my heart, my own heart, with the beautiful onward leading qualities of heart found in another, classically in the Buddha. But I think we can do the same thing with someone like Martin Luther King. 
And what I'd like to uh, do this evening is, is I'm going to invite you to do this by opening and listening to an excerpt from the last sermon that Martin Luther King ever gave. He gave the sermon on April 3rd, 1968 in Memphis, Tennessee, which some of you might know was the day before he was assassinated on April 4th, 1968. And I invite you to keep also that in mind in your heart while you're listening to it, because for me, there's almost like a prophetic quality to the ending of this sermon. As if he had a sense of this. That his end was so near. And Martin Luther King had, had come to Memphis, Tennessee to support the sanitation workers. The sanitation workers in Memphis were on strike. And you're going to hear him referring to uh, them in the first part of the sermon. And it's, it's just an excerpt of this sermon. And the strike, it was, uh, uh, they were on strike because their working conditions were so poor and their wages so meager. And this issue also intersected with the issue of systemic racism, since most of the sanitation workers were African-American men. And this uh, this excerpt of the sermon, is it, it, it's going to be about seven or eight minutes long. And as you listen to this, I invite you to open uh, on many dimensions, open to possibly the stories that he's sharing, the ideas, and also underneath those, the, the, the values that are laden in story and ideas that he's sharing. And also to, to open yourself just to the sound of his voice and the cadence and the rhythm. To allow yourself to be moved by his qualities, nusati. And, and to sense, this is what I do, to sense how he is the doorway for such qualities emanating through. And again, for me, it's not about trying to be him, rather to be inspired in an onward leading way that, that allows for some transformation of this heart and mind, just as this path and practice offers that. Okay, so I need to queue up this, um, this uh, audio here. So just one second here. Okay, so you might want to just allow yourself to settle in again, maybe just getting a sense of the feeling of the body. Relaxing, opening as a way of opening to, to all this. And again, it's very simple, just opening to this as I uh, now begin to play this for you. Be concerned about your brother. You may not be on strike, 
But either we go up together or we go down together. Let us develop a kind of dangerous unselfishness. One day a man came to Jesus and he wanted to raise some questions about some vital matters of life. At points he wanted to trick Jesus and show him that he knew a little more than Jesus knew and throw him off base. Now that question could have easily ended up in a philosophical and theological debate. But Jesus immediately pulled that question from midair and placed it on a dangerous curve between Jerusalem and Jericho. He talked about a certain man who fell among thieves. You remember that a Levite and the priest passed by on the other side. They didn't stop to help him. Finally, a man of another race came by. He got down from his beast, decided not to be compassionate by proxy. But he got down with him, administered first aid, and helped the man in need. Jesus ended up saying this was the good man, this was the great man. Because he had the capacity to project the eye into the vow and to be concerned about his brother. Now, you know, we use our imagination a great deal to try to determine why the priest and the Levite didn't stop. The times we say they were busy going to a church meeting, an ecclesiastical gathering, and they had to get on down to Jerusalem so they wouldn't be late for their meeting. At other times, we would speculate that there was a religious law that one who was engaged in religious ceremonials was not to touch a human body 24 hours before the ceremony. And every now and then we began to wonder whether maybe they were not going down to Jerusalem, down to Jericho rather, to organize a Jericho Road Improvement Association. That's a possibility. Maybe they felt that it was better to deal with the problem from the causal root rather than to get bogged down with an individual effect. But I'm going to tell you what my imagination tells me. It's possible that those men were afraid. You see, the Jericho Road is a dangerous road. Yeah, that's right, that's right. I remember when Mrs. King and I were first in Jerusalem. We rented a car and drove from Jerusalem down to Jericho. And as soon as we got on that road, I said to my wife, I can see why Jesus used this as the setting for his parable. It's a winding, meandering road. It's really conducive for ambushing. You start out in Jerusalem, which is about 1,200 miles, or rather 1,200 feet above sea level. And by the time you get down to Jericho, 15 or 20 minutes later, 
you are about 2,200 feet below sea level. That's a dangerous road. In the days of Jesus, it came to be known as the bloody paths. You know, it's possible that the priest and the Levite looked over that man on the ground and wondered if the robbers were still around. Or it's possible that they felt that the man on the ground was merely faking. And he was acting like he had been robbed and hurt in order to seize them over there, love them there for quick and easy seizure. And so the first question that the priest asked, the first question that the Levite asked was, if I stop to help this man, what will happen to me? But then the Good Samaritan came by, and he reversed the question. If I do not stop to help this man, what will happen to him? That's the question before you tonight. Not if I stop to help the sanitation workers, what will happen to my job? Not if I stop to help the sanitation workers, what will happen to all of the hours that I usually spend in my office every day and every week as a pastor? The question is not if I stop to help this man in need, what will happen to me? The question is, if I do not stop to help the sanitation workers, what will happen to them? That's the question. We've got some difficult days ahead. But it really doesn't matter with me now. Because I've been to the mountaintop. I don't mind. Like anybody, I would like to live... A long life, longevity has its place. But I'm not concerned about that now. I just want to do God's will. And he's allowed me to go up to the mountain. And I've looked over. And I've seen the promised land. I may not get there with you. But I want you to know the night that we as a people will get to the promised land. So I'm happy tonight. I'm not worried about anything. I'm not fearing any man. Mine eyes have seen the glory of the coming of the Lord. And I invite you right now just to continue to pause with that. What's it like to linger with what got evoked? What are the qualities of heart that you felt move through him?
So may we be inspired by whatever qualities of heart that you felt there. May they inspire your heart in a way that's for a benefit of ourselves and others and the whole world. Thank you. Thank you for your attention.